Welcome to Witness. This is Laura. And I'm Keaton. So we are exploring the word witness. So this concept of what it means to be with each other through the highs and the lows and everything in between. There's a special togetherness that you can feel where you don't need words. You're just with each other. Yeah. And this week I'm talking to my friend, Ben. He is the husband to Shayna, father to Kaya, Marquise, and Sloan. And as you're going to hear, he is the son to Ken and Jackie. And I think it, it's worth noting that uh, Ben and I uh, sat in the basement of the church I grew up in to do this interview. Um, it fits because both of us have some experience uh, serving churches and also grieving churches. That is a part of what connects us as friends. And uh, but also grief connects us. As we've said, uh, most of these episodes, at least in this first season, are going to need some kind of content warning. <laughs> uh, and Ben's story is no different. His includes some moments of like emergency medical trauma is a part of his story of loss. And so you're going to hear that. Uh, I know that I, you know, Ben and I have sat on a lot of porches together and talked this out. So I know what stands out to me in his story, but what stands out to you, Keaton? You were, you've haven't met him. No, I haven't. So, so just as a listener and as an editor and producer, what did you hear? I heard that he is a person who is so, he's very intentional and graceful in the way that he talks about loss. So I appreciated his poise and his, um, I just felt like I had a beautiful way of being selective with the words that he uses. And at one point in his story, he said something about the sacredness of levity. And that really sticks with me. So I would just encourage listeners to pay attention to moments where he talks about how um, levity and silliness brought some some light and some closeness with the people around him in this story. Yeah, I think that's really important, especially if you haven't gone through grief uh, you might not know that laughter breaks out, you know, like it might be surprising to find out how often that laughter or joy break through in those moments. And so uh, I'm so glad that he brought that part of his story too. And one of the things I love that shows up in his story is just how pain is such a magnifying glass to families. And so anything that's true about family is going to get highlighted, amplified, magnified, uh, in times of stress. And so I think you see through his story just how true that is, that what is strong gets stronger and what's hard about family can get hard in those moments too. And um, I think we're going to hear in their story that if they knew how to laugh, then they're going to keep on finding their way to that. Uh, I appreciate about Ben that he is several years out in his grief. And as I mentioned to him, I think in the interview, it it's been freeing to me to see him still like wrestling with it several years out and to know that it is just a part of how you, you have to keep on sorting it out for most of your life, especially when you lose those people who are formative for you. And so I think uh, you're going to appreciate not just his story, but the way he tells it and the light that he brings to a heavy thing. Thank you, Ben, for sorting it out with us yes. on this podcast. Yep. Here's Ben. So Ben, one of the premises of this podcast is I'm assuming that people who join me have said yes to it partly because they kind of want to tell their stories. But I have to admit, I'm not sure if that's true with you. Oh, uh, yeah, that's 
probably fair. <laughs> like, do you, I'm curious if having this conversation is useful to you at all, or if you're doing it in the hopes it might be useful to somebody else. Yeah, I think maybe it's both. Um, I, I am a pretty open book, but I do feel like this is work to go to these places. Like, it's not like a therapeutic thing right now. It feels like meh. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I did compensate you with possible free mini golf. Yeah. It's uh, to to be determined whether those vouchers will work or not, but we're excited (laughs) about it. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah. I think that's a pretty fair trade to pour your grief out on the table. Yeah. So uh, let's start with just your life growing up. Introduce us to your family a little bit. Yeah. uh, I had a great family. Um, My Mom and dad were married uh, pretty young, um, young 20s, and yeah, uh, were involved in my life, my older two sisters' lives. Uh, we had uh, a lot of time on ball diamonds and uh, basketball and volleyball courts. We were definitely sports-oriented, but uh, my dad coached a bunch of our teams. Um, we had just a good, healthy kind of thing going on in the midst of a small town in Northeast Ohio. My grandpa was a bit of a legend in that town. He was a World War II vet, the the mayor of the town, the principal of the elementary school. He was a pastor. So he was uh, all over the place and everybody knew him. So you had to kind of make sure you behaved to <laughs> not get in, in trouble because he'd find out probably. But yeah, our uh, our family is a, a pretty healthy family considering not a lot of faith uh, in our nuclear family, but um, beside that part, I uh, felt like I was loved and valued as a kid growing up. Any like, are there any stories about your mom or your dad that stand out? Like if you're trying to tell somebody what kind of people they are, is there like a line you might use to say who they were? Uh, yeah, well, they they had one that they made sure of uh, was like maintaining the family dignity. But I think it came from comedian, maybe it might have been Cosby back when we talked about Cosby. <laughs> but uh, it was like, um, if you're ever in an accident, you need to make sure that uh, they find you with clean underwear on. OK. Um, and so that, so that was, was a Thompson family. That role. was the yeah, it's like. Despite the fact that if you're in an accident, the chances of those underwear remaining clean go down pretty drastically. It was uh, it was the thing that they always left us with, as well as my dad always said, bridges freeze first. So uh, whenever we went out <laughs> driving, when, once we were driving age, uh, he seemed concerned about bridges. So yeah, um, cautious family. Factual. That's, yeah, factual. There's, yeah, that's that's what the signs say. So yeah. <laughs> um, so you lost your dad first, right? And yeah. I, I kind of know this story, but tell us a little bit about... Yeah. How that happened? Well, just graduated college. Uh, my wife and I moved in with my parents for the summer. We were uh, had plans in the fall, but needed a place for the, the summer. And so we moved in with them. Um, and within a month of being there, uh, my mom came up in the middle of the night, 2 a.m. and was like, hey, I need your help. And so I woke up. I was in a haze like I, my first instinct was something's wrong with the dog. I followed her downstairs to my parents' bedroom, and it wasn't the dog. Uh, my dad was uh, in his tidy whities uh, in in the bed, uh, gasping, uh, unresponsive, and was having a massive heart attack. 
And so I'd been uh, certified in CPR in college. And so I uh, kind of went into adrenaline overdrive, got him on the floor, um, started doing what I was supposed to, administering compressions. And um, that whole couple minutes um, is still very tangibly in my uh, memory. Um, uh, things they didn't warn me about or I missed in the CPR instructions is like my dad's five o'clock shadow, like just <laughs> the texture of that, like still is so distinct to me. And then, yeah, the fact that um, the things that are blocking his airway, that the bile and vomit and stuff is actually when you breathe going to come up and be in your mouth and in your nose. And that smell um, lasted for uh, years. So just randomly show up as part of the grieving process. Well, and it's also your father, which I'm imagining nothing can quite prepare you for in a CPR training. Yeah. Like, yeah. are you processing that or are you just trying to help? Uh, at the time, I'm I'm just like, got to save my dad. That was sort of the, the only thing on my mind. Um, so I'm administering compressions. My mom, uh, ironically changes my dad's underpants while I'm doing that uh, in just a Thompson family rule. Yeah, she's uh, to be commended for keeping her standards even in crisis. So, um, yeah, so that happened. And then uh, the squad came, picked him up. My neighbor uh, saw the squad lights uh, in the middle of the night and came over and said, I'll drive you uh, to the, the hospital. And I just, that sticks out. Like somebody showed up in the midst of it and helped. And, and so, yeah, we got there. Uh, they continued at the, in the hospital ER to administer compressions. Um, and I finally went up, uh, to the doctor and just put my hand on his and like, you can, you can stop. And so for a 22 year old, that's a, it's a lot for a night. And so, yeah, that was me losing my dad. Um, I wasn't prepared, still, still stings quite a bit. And, um, but there were some crazy moments of just sacredness along the way too, that I think, um, is why it's worth talking about. What did you go through those, those first days? Yeah. Well, so I'm the youngest of three and my default for whatever reason was I need to be steady here and I need to like get us through this. I don't know why I went there, but that was the the mantra. And so I was trying to kind of hold everything together uh, and not deal with any of the stuff. Suppress in advance is what my counselor calls it. Uh, we're still working on that 20 <laughs> years later. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, it, I think the, there was just a couple different moments that like, I would say God basically just said, yeah, you're not going to be able to do that here. Um, and I I was thinking about it when you sent sent the questions out to think about to tell this story. Like there was a sacredness in a, a few different ways uh, where he just interrupted that. One was the sacredness of things. And I'm not a sentimental guy. I'm not like, oh, let's hold on to that for 20 years because it means something. But um, it was the night after my dad had passed and there was a number of people there, uh, family and friends who were just sitting. I don't, occasionally there'd be a story shared, but it was a lot of just quiet sitting. And my mom came in, uh, 
and brought my dad's watch and gave it to me. This is not a nice watch. It's like a $30 Nokia kind of deal. It's not uh, anything that I was like, yes, I hope I get that in the inheritance. It had paint splotches on it because he was a self-employed painter. But she gave it to me, and for whatever reason, it unlocked the tears for me. Um, I just wept. Um, and I still have the watch. It, it never seems to keep working, but I wear it for weddings and funerals, and I just... It's like a sacred space for me. Um, another place, uh, just in those days after, is is the sacredness of presence. Um, it's scary when you're preparing to like have the funeral and everything, and you're wondering, like, is anybody gonna come? First of all, to validate your dad's existence, but then also to like be there for you because you're going through the grinder, right? And I remember some friends coming from halfway across the country and just showing up and I didn't expect them to be there. And again, it was like this deep need being met there that somebody actually cared about me. And it was tremendous to, to see somebody show up. And so the power of showing up was big. The, the third place I'd say that there was some sacredness was... Uh, in levity. I know that is maybe not uh, where you go when you think about death, but it, the funny moments along the way uh, are pretty important. And I'll tell two quick ones on that. My mom and I were sitting um, actually on the foot of the bed where my dad had had the heart attack after um, just the whirlwind of all the decisions and all the stuff that accompanies death, right? And um, we just caught our breath for a minute and I looked over and I said, mom, was it me or did you change dad's underwear in the middle of his heart attack? And we just both started losing it. Like, it was just a really funny, like, yep, that happened. Didn't know if I saw it right the first time, but yeah, that confirms it. And then the other sort of moment of hilarity in, in the aftermath of losing my dad was uh, everybody that... Uh, wanted to acknowledge our grief, sent us a meat and cheese tray. Um, <laughs> there's so many things you could send, flowers, uh, gift cards, like just cards with condolences. But everybody went, we had eight to 10 of these like giant platters of meat and <laughs> cheese. And so that seemed like an odd ratio of like, I don't think everybody gets that many, but they should uh, have coordinated. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, Hey, what are you sending? Yeah. Right. Is. Yeah, that's right. And so I went to my mom then, uh, like two, two days after, uh, but right before the funeral, I said, mom, I, I play a little guitar, not very much. I sing, but not very much. And I was like, I wrote a song and she, I, I set it up to be pretty emotional. I was like, I wanted to encapsulate kind of this whole, <laughs> whole experience and so she's like preparing emotionally for it and then I start into this ballad on meat and cheese <laughs> and she lost it and it it was this sacred moment of like we're going to be okay in this and then that night of the funeral afterwards everybody came back so we're like well we have lots of meat and cheese so why don't you come uh, so we had probably 30 to 40 family members just hanging out in the in our home and my mom asked me to play the song and she didn't give any preface. So it sounded like it was going to be another emotional tearjerker. Yes. And then 
by the end of it, it felt like an Irish drinking song. <laughs> Everybody was belting out this meat and cheese song. And Can you still remember the melody and the words? Yeah. Um, I'm not going to sing it, but uh, <laughs> it's meat and cheese on one tray. Wouldn't have it any other way because meat and cheese go together. And... Yeah, uh, we still to this day, this is probably speaks to the dysfunction of our family. But um, just uh, two weeks ago, my uh, aunt and uncle lost um, a, a family member. And so uh, we just sent a meat and cheese platter. <laughs> uh, didn't even sign it or anything. We just wrote the lyrics uh, yeah. to the chorus and um, they were sending text messages. And it was just uh, it's like. 20 years later, and they still um, hold on to that sacredness of levity. So I, I yes. think that's just been a good thing for our, our family to to be able to laugh in the midst of all of it. Yeah, I don't think there's anything quite like the the tears that come through laughter. Yeah. They're, like when those things intertwine, it is um, it's just more powerful, I think, than, than you can even describe. Um, and it does feel like perseverance. I mean, I don't know if, whether it's just a cover-up or a defense mechanism, but it doesn't feel like that. It feels holy. Yeah. Well, you think about the reason you have grief is because something that's been, at least in some ways, joyful in your life has been stripped from you. Right. So like to let joy in in the midst of the grief might be the right move to make. Yeah. So those were all sort of things that were sacred. Do you remember much of the actual services or the the things that were supposed to be that sacred space? Were they for you at all? Uh, it was complicated. I, I spoke. Um, I'm a pastor by trade, so I spoke at uh, both my parents' uh, funerals. Um, my mom actually had a stroke and died on our launch Sunday of our church plant about ten years ago, and so that was. And how many years was that after your dad? Okay. Um, so. It was 2005 for my dad and then 2013 um, for my mom. Yeah, so I got to eulogize both of them um, at very different stages in my own, like skill and appreciation for words and appreciation for the moment, but did the best I could with what I knew and what I had at the time. And so that was complicated. Like I wanted to honor them. Um but I was also in the midst of my feelings, right? So, so that was hard. Um, it was also kind of surreal because I have a pretty large family, extended family, and we've had a lot of death. And we were at the same funeral home for every one of those. So there's, we've been like, we don't get, I don't think there were frequent flyer miles or whatever, but we should have gotten some for how many funerals we had. We, Did you get like a buy a dozen caskets? Yeah, you know, they should have been yeah. like 13th free or something. <laughs> yeah. But they, the funny thing with that, they actually told us um, because my grandpa, uh, who was the World War II vet, um, was also a pastor. He had, visited and attended a lot of funerals there and officiated them. And so he had gotten pretty frail in his old age. And um, so he was using a walker and they actually told us that they named a flower bed after him at the funeral home because he had fallen off the sidewalk multiple times into this flower bed <laughs> while attending funerals because he had kind of uh, lost his step a little bit. And so it's like, yep. If you're getting flower beds named after family members, you might be uh, frequenting this place a little too much. But um, yeah, I I wish that I was more present to like what 
the words that were being spoken could mean, but there was some numbness to to that. Like I wasn't fully present. I wasn't fully attentive. Um, and yeah, I, I think I'm still navigating the grief, all that, right? Yeah. Well, that's what I wondered is, do you find yourself or how often do you find yourself? Cause you lost both your parents. That's you're pretty young yeah. to have that. Um, do you find yourself telling stories of them very often? Like keeping the eulogy going in some ways, like saying these people were here. It mattered that I lost them. Yeah. Do you find yourself telling their stories very often? I feel almost a level of guilt with that question because my kids have no point of reference for them. Like they've never had any time with them. Yeah. Um, and then my wife even only had a pretty limited interaction. So like it's left to me to like hold on to their uh, legacy and like their memory. And I feel like I've been pretty inadequate, honestly, with like telling the good stories. Um, and like sometimes my kids have to like be reminded, oh, you do have a second set of grandparents and they did pass away and they were great people. But when I've been around my two sisters, like our collective memory seems to be better at holding on than when it's just my own memory. Like we're able to reminisce and cherish some of the goofy things that our family did growing up. Yeah, I think that's important just because you can only remember so many stories. So it's good to have at least some people where you can keep the stories alive so that you hold on to them. Uh, it's certainly a part of that. I wonder if your kids might want to hear more about them as they get older too you know yeah and we you may still have time to do some of that storytelling yeah we do have like at christmas time we have ornaments from my parents tree and so there's like opportunity to just tell story there and i just want to be present enough to not just be like let's get this tree decorated and get this done and off the list but like this is can this is sacred space too and i want to honor everything that's going on, even with this goofy tree, right? Yeah. Um, I wonder, I, uh, I've i had some, because I lost both my parents a few years ago, and I've had friends kind of lose family members since then who have come back to me to say, we didn't know till we knew, like, what it was, right? But you have, you've known for a long time what grief was. Do you feel like that has... Has that given you any, I don't want to say like a, sometimes it almost feels like a superpower or like an advantage or some, it is kind of a strength, not a weakness, but I'm projecting maybe, I don't know. How have you experienced, like you've known for a long time yeah. that we're mortal, you know, yes. what it is to lose family. So I think at first it was a more of a curse than a superpower. Sure. It was my comparing my grief with everybody else's less than grief. Like, mm -hmm. oh, you're losing your 98-year-old grandparent. Like, toughen up. Like, that yeah. that should happen. Like, yeah, it's inevitable. Yes. Like, look yeah. at what I've lost <laughs> yes. by the age of 30, right? And so feeling that and really having, that, having to navigate, like, everybody's loss matters and getting to the soft like pastoral place of like empathy and entering in that was hard at first now um 
I default probably more than the normal person to showing up. Like I'm not, I'm not going to second guess like, well, is that going to be uncomfortable for me? It's like, of course it's going to be uncomfortable for me, but I know what showing up did for me. And so I want to, if I can be that presence, if I can just show people that I care about them, then I'm going to try to do that. And so that's been good. And like just seeing somebody who's on the other side of it, like, and still going, I think can be encouraging for folks. So like you're, you said, obviously a couple years for you now, like, do you feel like the superpower is growing or do you feel like you're still like in the throes of kind of all the grief and the loss of it? Yeah. For me, it's definitely both of both answers. Um, you know, I lost my sister when I was in my early twenties and so back then, I definitely would have responded more with like, I know, you know, a little bit of that weird, strange pride of grief. Um, I think I have felt more defeated this go around. Um, and so I know eventually it it will lead me to being more empathetic. But for now, I think I'm still finding my way. Yeah. Um, it took me down in a way that early grief with my sister didn't didn't take me down. Um, quite as much. Yeah. I, I feel that for sure. Um, when my mom, before my dad died, my mom had a couple of mini strokes and, uh, there were some losses that happened because of that. Like she lost some of her intellect. Like she used to do expert crossword puzzles every morning and then she couldn't do mediums anymore. Like it really broke her focus and her love of words. So there was loss there. But another weird sort of unexpected loss of that was she couldn't cry after that. Um, so when my dad died, she like tried to sob and weep and there were no tears. And so it almost sounded like, uh, like a so, like sort of like laughter like she it was just really uncomfortable and then she heard it and she like was apologizing and she just had these tears that were unwept mm. and so then like I'm my mom's kid I'm my mom's son and so I've gone through that in my own grief process where I feel like I mean 10 years with her 20 with my dad and like these tears are often just dammed up behind my eyes. Like I don't know how to just like enter into those moments and lose it. And yeah. Yeah. So I, I wish that I could tap into that um, instead of this suppress and advance strategy that I keep using. Um, yeah. But I, I want to talk about that a little bit just cause I, um, one of the things, if you do know grief and then you have friends or family members who experience it for the first time, they're looking to you for a timeline. Uh, and it's been refreshing to me to know that you're 20 years in and still working this out. Um, it's actually freeing because it makes you feel not as pressured to get over anything. But to live with it, uh, how do you feel like you're you're living with it? Yeah, I I'm purposefully staying dysfunctional to give other people hope, right? Like that's my strategy. I'm like, I'm just going to keep really not working. dealing with yeah. this. Well, yeah, I so glad I can uh, help you out. But um, I, like I see a counselor um, 
everybody should see a counselor. That's my <laughs> find a good one and then just process all the stuff. And uh, yeah, there's there's some grief of like I couldn't save my dad. I I'm responsible or something that I wasn't good enough at CPR or whatever. And so like like I carry that in my shoulders and then I have like issues with over responsibility in other places in my life where I'm like, well, I couldn't save him, so now I gotta overdo it here. And so it's been this like back and forth of oh, this is all because of something that happened 20 years ago. And like the the ability to let go and just say, this isn't my responsibility. Like I can care, I can be attentive, but I don't have to be responsible for that person's decision or that person's loss. Um, that's been a big breakthrough for me. Um, but yeah, I... My counselor keeps saying that she's waiting for the tears, that she's like she's anticipatory of what those tears are going to be and what's going to cause them and like what's going to happen like therapeutic wise for me um, yeah. at that point. What's your I know what I would say to somebody who I'd be like, you're not going to see him. You don't get him. Yeah. You know, so there's, I would want to defy that a little yeah, bit. Yeah. To hell with you and your uh, <laughs> anticipation. Like, yeah. So it would almost make me, yeah, dig in deeper. Yes. Stubborn. <laughs> I feel that a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I wonder, do you think you parent differently at all because you lost, like, do you think it changes the way you, you've, three great kids do you think it changes the way you parent them yeah well there's some dynamics there for sure um i appreciate so much how present my parents were uh in my childhood and so it it just like reminds me to show up for my kids and show up for them where they're at and who they are rather than uh this is what they must be right and so like if video games is the thing that Marquise is into, then like get into video games and be present with him there, right? And if basketball's the thing for Kaya, which she's really into right now, like show up for that and like don't project anything on her, just root for her and have a blast with her in the moment. And so I, I do, I take that value. Um, I think the dysfunctional side maybe of of the parenting is like this urgency of, like we're not guaranteed the time and wow, if both my parents were gone in their early fifties, early sixties, like what does that say for my like genetic timeline? And so do I have a long road? And so yeah. maybe I steamroll some places and try to accomplish things that are a little too ambitious from time to time, but I, I'm aware of it now, which is at least a step in the right direction. Sure. Um, it occurs to me that I didn't, you didn't say your parents' names out loud yet. You yeah. You say what their names were. Yeah. So <laughs> Ken, that was my dad, and Jackie was my mom. They both had uh, um, just awesome families growing up. And I, one of the biggest gifts, honestly, was right around uh, their anniversary. I'm trying to remember if it was, would have been their shoot, I can't think if it would have been 30 or what year anniversary it was. Uh, my cousin randomly found some like old film and had it converted uh, into like 
what we can actually use today. Yeah. And it was of their wedding. Oh, and so beautiful. it was before there was audio uh, on the recordings and stuff. So there's just like this image of them that it's live footage of when they were like 20 and in love. And it, it was so meaningful to have that and to be like, I can hold on to this now. And uh, again, the, the sacredness of silly things that's like, oh, does that really matter? Maybe not, but it's really timely for remembering them and holding on to them and showing my kids and be like, look, here's grandma and grandpa. Yeah. And it, it adds a texture. You know, I, I think we take it for granted that we can just film people now and have sound and, right, and yeah. sight of yeah. them. Um, I found the same thing, like eight millimeter video that uh, I did get converted, but it is just, and I just want to hear them yeah. so badly. Yeah. I want to hear what's happening in these, in this footage, but, but it is a, a relief, I think, just to see the way they move again, you know? Yeah. And for you to get to see them young, that, that's extra. Yeah, it was definitely a gift, and um, and I, I put a little bit of like music montage to it and sent it to my sisters, and of course they wept, and it's like I wish I could do that. I got to figure <laughs> out how to get to that space, but yeah, it was a pretty meaningful gift. Yeah. Um, well, I wonder. This is something I've been asking everybody: is are there things, particularly since you do understand grief and how people. Th keep thinking about us do you have in your own mind things you hope people say about you someday yeah that's a great question and I think maybe early in the grief process or even before I lost parents I think my ambition was I want lots of people um, who had some level of impact from me or something and now it's like I just hope that there's 10 to 20 people who like their lives are forever changed because I'm not present anymore. Like, because we went deep together, we had like connection and investment in each other and they can just honestly say like, they're in a better place because, uh, just having a relationship and that they had fun with me. I like, that's the, stubborn part of me that just wants to like despite the grief in my life I still want joy to have like its say and its final word in my life and to be like yep even in the midst of this like I'm going to find good things and value and laughter in my story and yeah if if 10 to 20 people are around for that and say thank god for Ben like Hell yeah, it was worth it. It was a good run. Yeah. I I count myself, you got at least one, I would say. Because <laughs> I do, you know, whether it's out of a, a superpower or a burden, I do think of you as a person who shows up and a person who's present and a person who's funny. Um, and so, and I, I could think of at least, you know, a handful more. So I think you're getting close to 10. Yeah, <laughs> hey. So. I imagine there's some, yeah. Yeah. So, so I, it, I think it might even be more than 20. Well, shoot. Let's... <laughs> Should I just call it now? Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, I think we should tell people what you, your suggestion for this podcast, the the one that I, that was my, the winner. Yeah. I said dead air is, <laughs> is probably the only thing you can call this. So. I, yeah. I haven't been able to shake that. So, uh, I appreciate you, Ben. Thanks for telling your story. Yeah. Thank you for having me.
So thank you again, Ben, for sharing that story with us. In listening to what he had to share, I was really struck by the that fun meat and cheese platter with his family, with his aunt and uncle who had experienced a loss, and it just highlighted their connection and that history that they have together. And when thinking about what this story encourages me to do going forward, I'd love to just think through um, people that I want to support and what super unique ways to our relationship that I can be there for them. What's something that I can say that shows like, hey, I know you and you know me and we've experienced things together and we have this this bond just to show that relational component of understanding. So thank you once again to Ben for sharing your story with us. This is Witness. <laughs>